If you would uh, turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 103, the 103rd Psalm, and we'll be reading just the first uh, five verses of uh, Psalm 103. Let's give uh, careful heed to God's holy word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we pray that you would come by your spirit and stir up in our hearts thanksgiving and gratitude, not only as we are thankful for a day of national thanksgiving, but that we may live our hearts, our lives in heart gratitude to you in thanksgiving. Oh Lord, uphold us then. Illumine our hearts and minds by your own spirit. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad to again have the, the, the privilege to be with you and to open God's word with you this evening. Uh, it's been a, uh, we're coming to the close of 2022 and it's been rather tumultuous, I guess. Uh, God's people certainly being tested, tried. Um, and while we may often think, and of course there's some things like, it's, I don't know about you, but I, it's like, I, I keep thinking, I, I thought I've seen the worst. <laughs> Can it and then something else shows up on the, you know, on the tube, you know, something else that's happened. But we may be tempted to think that this is just hugely extraordinary. But we need to realize that such difficulties and trials have been faced by our spiritual forefathers on a regular basis. Trials, tribulations, uh, tumultuous times. Uh, the aggressive plots of the wicked, you know, sneaky things done, uh, onslaughts against Christianity and a Christian worldview, a Christian civilization or culture. Uh, I, I suppose everybody knows that, uh, you know, you go and search for something on Google and you are engineered towards certain conclusions. Uh, it's been some years ago, but I, but I, w- I went and looked up, uh, you know, just Thanksgiving and, uh, this whole history of our Christian forefathers being rewritten in some kind of horrid colonialism and oppression. Uh, New York Times article popped up, The Vicious Reality Behind the Thanksgiving Myth. Healing from colonization on Thanksgiving. Decolonizing Thanksgiving. A toolkit for combating racism. Uh, Smithsonian, Smithsonian Magazine, The Myths of Thanksgiving Story and the Lasting Damage. Uh, Times, since the Thanksgiving Tale is a myth, dot, 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 goes the article. Well, I'm not here to give a history lesson, although history is important, but it's particularly that we, that we understand these things in the light of God's holy word. What we want to do as God's people, be instructed by God that we may be humble and thankful in gratitude to God, not only for the temporal blessings which we receive along with unbelievers, but particularly for eternal blessings and benefits in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
you know, we, we, we sing uh, sometimes maybe, maybe you sing it here around the 4th of July or something like that or other times of uh, national remembrance. Uh, the hymn, God of Our Fathers, uh, it's written by uh, Daniel Roberts, who from all accounts was a very humble and shy pastor, but it is a, a, a marching hymn. It says, Thy love divine has led us in the past. In this free land by thee our lot is cast. Be thou our ruler, guardian, guide, and stay. Thy word our law, thy paths our chosen way. And that phrase, by thee our lot is cast, points us so that we would understand in God, by, it needs to be understood by God's people that we are directed by God's providence. Uh, that not only the founding of the nation, but the history of the nation, all of our lives. God is the one who, on the one hand, uproots one nation and plants another. And that language of lot or portion is often used in the scriptures to speak of God's providence, his judgments, as well as his blessings. Uh, the child of God can say with the psalmist in Psalm 16, 5, O Lord, you are my portion, the portion of my inheritance, my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines that have fallen to me have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. But this is not only God's grace and providence on an individual level, but he is also the great ruler of nations. After many years of patience, you know, God had promised Abraham that there would be those many hundred years of the long-suffering of the Lord for the nations of Palestine and until they would be uprooted, the land of Canaan, and he would plant his people. And so the first thing I want to do this evening is have a little bit of a remembrance of God's benefits. Um, I always love Thanksgiving services. When I served a church in Savannah, Georgia, uh, we used to do it on in our own individual church, but then uh, the Lord blessed uh, independent Presbyterian. I know that's an oxymoron, but that's the way it is. Independent Presbyterian Church with a pastor by the name of Terry Johnson. We used to have the entire folks from the whole city. It was a packed out, tremendous worship service. But people would give testimonies of God's providential mercies and his saving grace. Always a touching time. Uh, But what else do we inherit? Well, we inherit blessings that God gives via devout Christians who have gone before us. Um, the, the Pilgrim Fathers, we inherited blessings from them, the ones that, lim- uh, that landed at Plymouth Rock. The Lord was planting his church in what was then called a howling wilderness, and the church itself could well be described, this scrawny, small group of people uh, what the uh, world labeled them, you know, the offscourings of the earth, the rubbish of the earth. Uh, the, these were people who you can identify with. We well, can't identify with that long ago. Well, you can because they knew what it was to try to stand against an ungodly tidal wave. They knew what that was like. Uh, now, the only difference between them and their Puritan brothers, the Puritans in England are trying to purify the Church of England from within. The pilgrims basically say, hey, you know, this is a hopeless cause. We're going to go be the shining city on a hill, set an example. Church of England will come to repentance and follow our example. That's short and sweet of that. When you consider the three matters that moved them to do what they did, 
you can say, well, you know, I can kind of identify that. You know, they, had, they, they didn't do this hastily. They had left their homes first from England, then gone to Amsterdam and the Netherlands, and eventually came to the same conclusion they weren't getting anywhere. They were people of, of great personal and familial godliness. And one of their first great concerns was their children. Their children were being influenced by the prevailing ungodliness. But then they'd been unable to convince their neighbors to keep the Lord's Day, and they were concerned for the purity of Christ's worship and church. And so after 12 years in Amsterdam, they sailed July 2nd, 1620, Southampton, England. They're going to join another group. And you know the story. Many of you were taught in elementary school, the Speedwell and the Mayflower, August 5th, 1650. Twice they're beaten back by storms. And it appears that there's some, uh, you know, we talked about plots of the evil ones worth going on. Uh, It sounds like the Captain Speedwell didn't really want to go and there was sabotage on that vessel. Uh, It also appears that there was some sabotage going on about where they would land. More about that in a moment. Everyone was loaded into, I think we should rather say crammed, into the 100-foot Mayflower. Uh, when I served church in Savannah, Georgia, we had a, 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 a life-size replica. I think it had an engine in it, but other than that, <laughs> of the Mayflower that docked down on the Savannah River. And you could go on it. And I can't imagine having, you know, it's over 100 people crammed into this thing, plus the crew and all the rest, and provisions. And when you go underneath the deck, it's not like some of you tall guys, you're not going to make it because you got to be down. And there were two babies born on the way. No privacy. <laughs> Everybody stuck together. And I can just imagine that, you know, cold Atlantic seawater dripping down on everything. You know, uh, this is not those advertisements for, you know, let's go cruising, you know, that's going on here. So here are these, here are these people who, uh, uh, crew of 48, 101 passengers, 56 were adults, 14 servants, hired craftsmen, 31 were children of whom seven were orphans belonging to no one. Takes over two months, one passenger dies, two being born. Uh, they funded this through the London Company uh, for the land and the passage and by, basically it required you to do indentured servitude. So most of them, by the time they get this paid off, given lifespan those days, wouldn't be around to talk about it. Cotton Mather's Great Works of Christ in America, which is available today, talks about how they, once they arrived, again, Cape Cod Bay instead of Virginia, uh, they have the longboats go out with some of the men, how the water freezes on them, seawater. There's the wonderful Mayflower Compact, which is put together by William Bradford. William Bradford's not the original governor. The original governor died. Part of that is, you probably memorized it again in school, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, honor of king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly, mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for the better ordering and preservation and furtherance of those ends and so forth. So, far off course few provisions. Winter has arrived. Um, they come ashore. The, the first building, general building that they build, uh, they say that, what was it, six foot from the hearth that water would freeze. That's cold. 
and the building burns down on Christmas Day. Uh, yet, uh, Governor Bradford calls for, in the day, uh, Thanksgiving Day 1623, uh, this Thanksgiving proclamation. Inasmuch as the great Father has given us a year abundant harvest, and he lists off all of these things, he protected us from the ravages of the savages, spared us from pestilence disease, granted us freedom to worship God. This is a great thing, to worship God according to what they've been uh, taught in the Word of God. And so they have this great Thanksgiving uh, day. And we, like I said, many of us know that. But let's, let's take and then look at what the psalmist says about how we're to give thanks. Um, all men, and particularly God's own children, are bound to render thanksgiving to God. Uh, look at the, what the psalmist says in Psalm 103.1. He is exhorting himself. Think about that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Now, why must we bless the Lord? Well, certainly the general revelation of God shows that God and his eternal power and Godhead should be worshipped and that everybody should be thankful. So there's nothing wrong with having a national day of thanksgiving. Acts 14, 17, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Uh, Acts 17, 25, he gives life to all, bre- he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And yet, what you read about in Romans 1, 21, that men do not on that account glorify God nor be thankful. Since God is the creator, sustainer, ruler, lawgiver, these all call upon all men, women, everywhere without exception to worship and give thanks to God. But then how much more you and I who are the redeemed of the Lord? Psalm 100 verse 3, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Christ, as you just heard, the living bread and all who have received of him by faith have everlasting life. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations. And when the psalmist says, he says this in the imperative, bless the Lord, bless Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, the sovereign God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has kept his promises, sent his Son into the world, and redeemed a people for himself to be his own special treasure. This is why we must bless the Lord. Well, how shall we bless the Lord? The Lord blesses us. Pardon me. Mercies, gifts of body, gifts of mind. He redeems, he delivers us from evil. He gives us his own covenanted communion and a future infallible, glorious hope. But can we bless the Lord in such ways? Can we give him such things? Well, obviously not. Our own uh, Westminster Confession of Faith in the uh, second chapter says, God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself. We can't add to that. He's the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Christ is the eternally blessed God. Well, what then is it to bless 
the Lord? We'll consider a couple of things. To bless the Lord is to acknowledge with passionate affection the perfections of God as highest and best. That is to acknowledge with passionate affection the perfections of God as highest and best. Now, there's a good example of this. Moses, you know, they're standing on the side of the Red Sea. And what God, this miraculous uh, deliverance of his people. Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. My friends, I don't know about you, but with all the chaos it seems like that's going on day by day, uh, with all the busyness uh, of life, and it seems like one day flows into another, it's easy to fail to stir our hearts to adore the greatness of God, to acknowledge with a passionate affection the perfections of God. Psalm 29, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of of holiness. And that's not just when you think the mighty ones, or that's not just some particulars, but you remember there's that wonderful prayer of Hannah, who has been downtrodden in her own marriage and family and has been childless, and she cries out to the Lord in anguish, and the Lord provides. And 1 Samuel 2 2. No one is holy like the Lord. There is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. To behold the great God demands the return of praise and adoration and thanksgiving. What then is to bless God? Well, that number one. But number two, to bless the Lord is to praise God for all his glorious attributes. All his attributes revealed in his works and ways. I don't know about you, but I can get real earnest in prayer. And boy, talk about chasing God and seeking his face when I have great needs. When I'm in great troubles. When I'm concerned about someone in a family, when I'm concerned about matters in the church. But after we have done that, and we ought to go and pray and bring those, make our requests known to God, and the Lord works deliverance, do we take time to meditate upon that deliverance? How is his wisdom displayed, his sovereignty, his faithfulness? How are his mercies displayed in that deliverance? One of the hymns that I love, is, and I'm sure it's in the Psalter hymnal, is by Jacob Neander. Um, evidently, the, the, the grotto where Neander used to go and meditate, and no doubt wrote some of these great hymns, is uh, where they found some bones and called it Neanderthal, and I think that was a hoax and everything, but that's, you know, that's a sign. But he wrote this from Psalm 103, "'Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation.'" Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All you here and out of his temple draw near, join me in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord, who are all things so wondrously reigneth, shelters thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. 
Hast thou not seen how thy desires e'er have been granted in what he ordaineth? That's not just cold God's sovereign. Yes, I believe in providence. But that is the Lord sustains and directs and upholds me in the midst of his workings. Praise to the Lord who does prosper your work and defend you. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attends you. Ponder anew what the Almighty will do if with his love he befriend thee. Praise to the Lord who with marvelous wisdom has made thee. Deck thee with health and with loving hand guided and stayed thee. How oft in grief... Hath not he brought thee relief, spreading his wings to o'ershade thee? You get the idea. Not only in the difficulties, but in the answer to that, in God's mercies, meditating upon those great and glorious attributes of God shown in his works and ways. And, and, and my friends, here we are. Not so long ago was we remember the great revival of the Reformation, and central to that, that double benefit of Christ. On the one hand, justification, where God says, not guilty, but righteous in my sight. And how in the world can God say that, who's a righteous judge, when I'm not righteous? Well, my filth, my guilt, gets laid upon the sinless one. You know, it would be the height of blasphemy for anybody to suggest such a thing, if it were not revealed in the Holy Scriptures. But here is the God who redeems us at the price of the blood of His own dear Son. And that I stand before God in the pristine, stainless righteousness of Christ. There at the cross is God's judgment and righteousness and holy strictness set forth, as well as His love and mercy and grace as they kiss together. And the pains and the sufferings and the salvation wrought for us by Jesus Christ. But then, as well, He is the God who sets us free from the dominion of sin. He's the one who makes us from being slaves of sin to being willing servants of righteousness under the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. He makes those who are rebels into willing servants. To bless the Lord is to praise God for all his glorious attributes revealed in his works and ways. But then to bless the Lord is to carefully use every opportunity to praise his excellent greatness. Now, most of you, when you were a small child, mom or dad, or maybe both taught you, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food, right? By his hands we all are fed, give us, Lord, our daily bread. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, Carefully use every opportunity to praise his excellent greatness. First Timothy 4, 4, every creature of God is good, every, nothing to be refused. If it's received with thanksgiving, it is sanctified, set apart to the Lord by the word of God and prayer. You know, one of the things to, to, it, that is so concerning about this whole matter 
of using every opportunity to, to praise God is what one of the one of the temptations in, in the church in which we live today. You know, I find that if men and women are slow and casual to worship Lord at the stated times of public worship on the Lord's day, when Christ gives so many not only commands but urgings to that that He will be present there and through these means bless us and provide for us, convey to us these great benefits of His. If we're slow in that, then we're going to be slow to enter into private and family worship. And if this is the case, will we be those who consciously take every opportunity that comes across our path to not only be thankful and gratitude to God, but to tell others, look at the great things God has done for me. You know, I wanted to illustrate this and... uh, if we can be casual about those things, and one of those things leads, those things about public worship lead to the private worship and then into everyday life. And especially as we live in a day where there's an increasing scrutiny and kind of frowning at Christians when you take your Christianity out of these four square walls and on this particular day. And I was trying to think of a good example of this. I'm gonna, forgive me, I'm just going to use the, 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 once born, the once blind man. In John 9, he, he was born blind, remember? He, he can't come into the, the uh, temple uh, because he's imperfect. He's sitting outside where the beggars do. Hey, what does your son do for a living? <laughs> Can you imagine the difficulty that uh, was there with those parents when the day was announced? Oh, he's a beautiful baby boy. Everything's wonderful. It's just, just he's blind. And now Christ has come. In God's providence, this is why it was to happen, that the works of God would be seen, that Christ would bear testimony to you and me down through the centuries, that he is the Christ who gives spiritual life and light. And here's this man in here. What a way to make somebody to see. Make the mud, and here's mud in your eye. And he goes to the, to the uh, spring, you know, with a well called scent, and washes and sees. And of course... Everybody, the, the, the Jewish population finds out, the, the authorities say that oh, you've done this on the Sabbath day. It's breaking the Sabbath day. And so there's already this great hostility. If anyone should say that this Jesus was the Christ, he would be excommunicated. And so they say to him, give God glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And there's this interchange between the two of them. And I love this guy because he's bold as brass. Why? This is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. (laughs) Are you teaching us? You are altogether born in your sins, and they throw him out, they excommunicate him. Of course, Christ will come tenderly. He's not excommunicated from Christ. This was false church discipline for sure. And Christ says, you believe in the Son of God? And he says, who is he, Lord? I may believe him. I speak to you and he. And he had that wonderful revelation of Christ to this man. My question was, is he had everybody in their brain, even his parents. You know, is this your son who you say was born blind? That was the most cruel thing that I could possibly think of somebody saying. And, he's, and that, that, they know what the consequences of saying are. And they just say, well, he's of age, ask him. You know? 
But how bold he was. Are we taking opportunities to teach these things to our children, to our grandchildren? Every opportunity to point out the praises of the excellent greatness of God in his works and ways. I must continue on. To bless the Lord is to live a life consecrated and, get this, loyal to him. Taking advantage of public worship has to be the spring to a life lived for Christ. So, do you know of his saving love for you? That the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. You've experienced the new birth, repentance of sin, embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. You stand amazed that he bled and died for me, the sinner. You say with the Apostle Paul, how shall I not then live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me? Well, what does that love for Christ look like? What is the form of that? Well, Jesus himself, this is John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. This love of Not only this love of grace, but a love of approbation because you are being conformed. You're like his own dear son. And he says that uh, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him. We will tabernacle. We will make our home communion with him. You see, let's exalt the Lord by adorning our profession of faith with a holy life, with godly speech and comfort. We bless the Lord by a life consecrated and loyal to Him. Well, let's have a, a little bit of a, a few thoughts about what is to be the character of our thanksgiving. Our thanksgiving, and I'm just following the words of David. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Thanksgiving has to come from our hearts. David is not content with Turkey Day and football, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I love football. I know we won't talk about any teams, okay? But here he's not content with lip service. Christ himself talked about truth and then truth lived. He says, this people draws near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that's not just something that, you know, people with gray hair or no hair, you know, (laughs) the grandparents, oh yeah, yeah, they know what it is to be grateful. They talk about this idea of gratitude and all that kind of stuff. It's not just parents. That's to be children and young people and everyone. You want to be revolutionary in this day? You're not set upon yourself, but you're grateful to God. Each one of us, David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. That means I must praise the Lord. I must must give thanks. And that comes from a heart filled with gratitude, a heart renewed by the Holy Spirit, a heart producing the fruits of a living faith in Jesus Christ. This puts life into worship. This puts life into thanksgiving. This puts energy and passion into witness. In Luke 17, there's a wonderful illustration of this. In Luke 17, there is the account, and all of you probably know it, it's, uh, of the 10 lepers. Okay. And uh, you know, the, uh, the leprosy in that day was the, you know, the L word. It's kind of like the C word today, cancer. 
Well, thank the Lord for the key to unlock so many diseases and some of the ones that we still have to wrestle with. I keep praying that he give us the key to that as well. But here are these men who couldn't come to temple worship, who had been you know, separated from their families and go about unclean, unclean, terrible, slow death. And let me tell you, they have some desperate cries. Think of what this must have sounded like. Ten men who are lepers, desperate, crying out, all together, this cacophony. Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Repeatedly, over and over, and Jesus commands them to go, show yourselves to the priest. That's the, the Old Testament prescription. When someone has been made clean, they go show themselves to the priest, and they were determined to be clean and uh, receive back. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Marvelous, wonderful, a miracle. But listen, listen. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Most of us, if I went around, and I'm not trying to encourage gossip or maybe I... You know what I mean, though, this illustration. You know, we, we've experienced a one time in our life where we have bent over backwards to provide for, give time, energy, help, all that kind of stuff to someone who received it, but then basically didn't even say thank you. Maybe even they stole some more from us. Let's not be like those who are careless about returning praise. Stirring up gratitude, thanksgiving. Don't be careless about thanksgiving to God. Don't be like the nine lepers who are, were they earnest about the problem? Yes, they were. Were they excited about the result? Yes, they were. We've all heard the canard, loving the gift without appreciating the giver. They forgot him. That reminds us, my friends, yeah, I'm thankful for a national corporate Thanksgiving. I'm thankful when there might be some great time uh, where uh, God calls the, the church, uh, you know, the, the first pilgrims, you know, they had a drought and everything was drying up their crops and they called this day of fasting and, and prayer. God sent this wonderful soaking rain and all the natives were going, tell us more about this God. They were sure to attribute it to God. It's great to have corporate times of, 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 of prayer and fasting as well as thanksgiving that God gives us. But I tell you that thanksgiving is personal. It's something you engage in with the Lord himself. His blessings have been individual to you. You know, Jesus says, in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I know my sheep. That he knows you and I and our individual circumstances, our difficulties, our trials, our triumphs. He knows us, sustains us, and keeps us. And the reality is he is known by his own. They know him. He went to the cross as the good shepherd, bearing your and my name our personality individually there. So remember, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, 
Render thanksgiving to the Lord is not that some kind of a general appreciation of God's gift, you know, uh, oh dear Lord, we just thank you for everything, you know. I know we sometimes run out of words and our brains don't work and everything, but we've got to engage our hearts. Do you love the Lord as well as his blessings? Our thanksgiving must come from our hearts. Our thanksgivings, uh, blessing the Lord ought to be fervent. You know, there's some people in church history that always just urge me on in fervency. David says, all that is within me, bless his holy name. You know, David Brainerd, this is 1718, 1747. He's a missionary to the Delaware Indians. And you ought to read The Life and Diary of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. Uh, he himself, uh, Brainerd was an orphan. His father died when he was 14. His mother, five years later, seems July 12, 1739, he was converted. He says, I had a hearty desire to exalt God, to set him on the throne and to seek first his kingdom. He had to leave his second year at Yale because he had what we would know today as tuberculosis. Seven years later, that would take him from this life to the next. But listen to what he says. Talk about fervent thanksgiving. Nothing grieves me so much as that I cannot live constantly to God's glory. Boy, that's the thing that he's thinking about. That's what bothers him. I can't live constantly to God's glory. I have received my all from God. Oh, that I could return my all to God. Surely God is worthy of my highest affection, my most devout adoration. He is infinitely worthy that I should make him my last end and live forever to him. Boy, what sort of thanks ought we to be giving when we consider he who it is, who is the giver? Our thanksgiving, blessing the Lord needs to be conscious. Psalm 103.2 says, forget not all his benefits. That means forget not means I have to make a conscious, rational, thinking work of this thanksgiving and gratitude business. A friend of mine uh, wrote cautioning about online technology some years ago. He, he was writing from his, uh, some research and observations as well about how it trains us to prefer the new, the innovative, the novel over tradition, while at the same time undermining our ability to give focused attention to any one matter. He said, quote, fragments and scatters our attention like nothing else. In this fragmented, scattered age, do we specifically mark out in our lives to observe God's goodness to us? Then we, do we bless the Lord for those things? Do we improve the gifts and opportunities and blessings? So it is heartfelt, fervent, conscious, and lastly, it should be specific. Psalm 103.3, we read it earlier. Who forgives all your iniquities, heals your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, satisfies your mouth with good things. Is it the case that we live our lives out? And I know, you know, I saw somebody recently, you know, and it was the lady, I think it was in the airport, you know, and she had one child she was carrying and the other one was on the line, you know, pulling her and she was trying to haul luggage at the same time and everything. And, uh, 
I think her husband was around the corner or something. But you know, I thought, boy, you know, it really gets more interesting when there's three of them and they outnumber you. And <laughs> I know some folks who've had four or five, you know, particularly. And it's easy to get busy. We live our lives in such a way that one day flows into another. So our petitions become the same way. Dear Lord, bless us. Our thanksgiving becomes the same way. Thank you for your blessings. Or we may get specific when we pray for mercies and trials and directions, but then we don't give specific thanks. Specific blessings of our gracious God deserve from us special, specific thanks. Well, my friends, I want to come full circle this evening uh, with you. Our pilgrims back there at the beginning. Bradford writes of these hundred some odd persons that first came over in the first ship. The greatest half died in the general mortality. And most of them in two or three months time. Of the 17 male heads of families... 10 died during the first infection. Of 17 wives, only three were left after three months. The 102 originals, only 44 survived. And I think here are people who then have a day of thanksgiving. And I'm wondering, when I read that, I'm thinking, you know, would I be like them or, you know... Remember Naaman, the Syrian general? You know, the Syrians are doing raids on northern Israel, and they aren't just raiding and taking stuff, they're taking people. And you remember Naaman's the one who comes down with leprosy, and there's the little servant girl, Reed, slave girl. And I think if, if he'd caught, you know, leprosy, I'd say, you know, I hope it's slow and he rots. You know, <laughs> that probably been my bad attitude at the time. But she goes... Have you heard there's a prophet of the Lord? You can go to him and the famous, you know, dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan River and he is, he is uh, miraculously healed of God. One of the uh, folks that survived is a guy named Edward Lins, uh, Winslow and the pastor of my home church in Lakeland, Florida, uh, David McWilliams, Covenant Presbyterian Church, on their Thanksgiving Day, mentioned that there's a couple in the congregation whose lineage goes back to this Edward Winslow that came over in the first group. And he writes back, December 11, 1621, how thankful they were for the following year of 20 acres of coin and six acres of barley and the houses have been built, God's protection among the Indians and how... You know, that one Indian who helps them out had been captured by the, the uh, Spaniards and made a slave, escaped, went to England, was a Christian family who felt bad for him and sent him back. And there he is. Oh, what a lucky break, right? <laughs> to translate and help make this covenant agreement, this treaty between Massasoit for mutual defense of this small group. He says, although it... Be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers 
of our plenty. So it's not, they sure had it bad. I guess I should be thankful I've not had as bad as they had it bad. But rather, who God is. God's works of providence, including temporal blessings, but most especially eternal covenant and spiritual blessings from the Lord Jesus Christ. I know this is post-Thanksgiving, but may we live lives of gratitude and thanksgiving to our God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we do need the work of your Spirit when we begin to unpack the gratitude that we ought to have when we see the greatness of our God, your attributes displayed, when we consider the greatness of this so great a salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, which has been made known to us, where there are thousands who have not had this great blessing. Oh Lord, we pray, stir up in us a life, a heart, a mind to, to pay attention to be stirred to gratitude and thanksgiving to you, our great God, for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.